This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by HostGator.com. Do you need to launch your own website? If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to register, host, and build your site, you should check out HostGator.com. They have tools to help you get started immediately, whether you're transferring a domain or building your site from scratch. So, you know, all you fans who want to open up, here's a look at my robotguts.com or drcorbyforever.net or kenissecretlyarobot.org. You can just head over to HostGator.com and have that up before we're done with today's episode. Speaking of DrCorbyForever.net, a .net address is the best way to get a good domain name these days. Grab your .net today. It gets better, though. HostGator has 24-7 tech support on the phone, live chat, or email, and you can choose from shared or dedicated servers. All that plus packages that include unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. Order now with the coupon code MISSIONLOG, and you'll get 30% off at HostGator.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 73, The Lights of Zatar. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. Oh, hey, whoa. Is that, uh... Sensitarian, John? <coughs> sorry, no, uh, sorry, I ate peanut butter before doing the show. Oh, yeah. That mistake yeah. again. Oh, it's, it's, it's an old broadcasting trick. Eat lots of peanut butter before yeah, you start. Very, very sorry. Um, uh, but what I was trying to say is that I am John Champion. Yay! And uh, you, you, all of you, are listening to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And today, Ken, today we're talking about the lights of Zatar. Zatar? Yes, Zatar. Oh, see, I was hoping it was Zatar. Because? Because then I could be all like, I play Zatar. I don't know uh, why. The whole time, yeah. though. The whole time. Like, I read the thing, it's, and I was like, yeah, that's it. And they all, they, all, they hardly say it throughout, so. Yeah. 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 Because we only, don't really learn who they are until later. No, so, no. The yeah. reveal. They're the, uh, they're the fifth business in this whole thing, right? We're kind of talking <laughs> about them the whole time, but we don't know who they are. But then they come on screen, and you're like, yeah, it's still her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, bunch of lights. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually very good to see the back wall of the skating rink where I grew up getting work, though. I mean, that was really, <laughs> yes, that yes. was just all I could think about the whole time. Yeah, cool. <laughs> well, very that and good. playing Zatar. <laughs> you know. Nice. <clears throat> yeah. So, Ken, before you tell us all about the lights of Zatar and, yes. and how lovely those lights are. Yes. Uh, we have a little, a little bit of other business to take care of. Um, oh, yeah. First of all, before yeah. we get to trivia, though. What? Um, Wait a minute. Before we get to trivia. Oh, you, yes, faked, you faked me out. I faked you out. Yeah. Um, I, I want to let you and I want to let all of our listeners know, if they don't know already, I want them all to check out 1701news.com uh, because that is a Roddenberry-associated Star Trek news website uh, edited by Michael Hinman. And it is 
It's fantastic. Um, I visit there at least once every couple of days. They've got articles on what's happening in the world of Star Trek, all of Star Trek, uh, kind of the latest on what is happening with new movies. And when you get into the columns, they actually run columns that can talk about some of the same things that you and I might talk about on Mission Log, Um, some of the bigger ethical, moral, philosophical issues that are raised by Star Trek. So if you have not checked it out, please check out 1701news.com. So now, that, now do we do the thing? Now we do the thing. All right, go for it then. Now it's time for the thing. Okay, a few points of trivia for the lights of Zatar. First, this episode, I, I, this blew my mind the first time I, I heard about it. It was written by Sherry Lewis of <laughs> Lamb Chop fame and uh, there are probably a lot of people in our audience who have no idea who that is i I refuse to believe this is true i don't it is absolutely true so sherry lewis who was known uh for children's tv she was really one of the first stars of children's tv for her hand puppet lamb chop um she and her husband jeremy tarcher wrote this episode she was a star trek fan and actually she wrote the character of mira with herself in mind. She wanted to play that role. She was a big enough fan that uh, she wanted to be on the show. Um, she uh, she did not get the role. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> in case you didn't know. How much does that suck? I know, I know. That's kind of unfortunate. But hey, but she had a, a very big and thriving career on her own, primarily known for uh, her work in children's television. Um, some of the funny bits of trivia about her, uh, she once submitted a recipe for lamb chops to TV Guide. Nice. Uh, they had a like a celebrity <laughs> recipes thing, and I think that's brilliant. No, um, you know, actually, I tried her recipe for lamb chops one time. Yeah. A yeah. little, little stringy. <laughs> it t- tasted like an old sock, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. It's really too bad. Um, and this is interesting. Lamb Chop, not, so not just Sherry Lewis, but Lamb Chop testified before Congress in 1993. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? I would I, imagine that was taken very seriously. <laughs> well, you know, it, the, the context of that is that um, – there was a hearing about educational TV, and you you may remember this, where uh, you had a lot of uh, TV stations, networks, producers putting out all of this stuff. Like you know, you put on the GI Joe cartoon, and then you justify it being an educational show by running the little thirty second PSA at the end. Yeah. All right. Well, Congress was saying, look, we're we're trying to mandate that that producers at networks go a little above and beyond here and actually do educational TV. So like Saturday mornings, you have all this block of time, do some educational TV. Sherry Lewis is there to say, look, I've been doing educational TV forever and ever. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. We should do it. We should be doing more educational TV. And uh, then Lamb Chop chimed in. Yeah, exactly. And and that's, uh, I think that's where your problem is. <laughs> that's what happened. I, I mean, nobody in the offense. I'm sorry. I mean, look, you can't compete against G.I. Joe with Lamb Chop. You just can't. I mean, yeah. unless you're like three. 
Yeah. You right. know, maybe. I mean, so for Sherry Lewis to say it doesn't have to cost much. Well, no, because what you did was put a sock on your hand. <laughs> and it cost nothing. In like 19, yeah. you know, early, what, late 1950s, early yeah. 1960s television, yeah. when you have like two and a half channels, maybe. People will right. watch what's on because, you know, what's on is like three channels at that point. Right. You go all right. the way to like 1993 when we have like close to 50 or 60 channels, mm-hmm. you know, and now it'd just be crazy. Well, actually now, you know, there's a better chance of Lamb Chop doing well in television as we talk today. You think? But, well, because television has gotten so like weirdly segmented at this point mm-hmm. that you can have a whole channel for like sock puppets. <laughs> well, in maybe, fact, I'm thinking that's the thing that we do. Yep. Yeah. You and me, pal. <laughs> the sock puppet channel. Coming coming sometime in the yeah. 21st century. Call your cable or satellite provider for the sock puppet channel. Please go yes. ahead. Please continue. Yes. Please, okay, oh, so, love of God, uh, continue. The story that she wrote was originally rejected, then accepted later on by uh, producer Fred Freiberger. Uh, but yeah, that that's kind of the backstory to Sherry Lewis and her association with Star Trek and the lights of Zetar. Um, we also have to say a welcome back to Lieutenant Kyle, Lieutenant Call, Lieutenant Call, Call here, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was played by John Winston. This is sadly the last of his 11 appearances in Star Trek, the original series. But Carl does turn up again later in Wrath of Khan. Um, also worth pointing out that he was in an episode of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. with Nancy Kovac, who we may remember from A Private Little War, and Ricardo Montalban, that episode being the King of Diamonds affair. And uh, we're also uh, introducing ourselves to Jan Shutan, who played Lieutenant Mira Romaine. Um, she has several TV shows to her credit, but no real breakout roles. Some of the ones that stood out to me, uh, she appeared on Rod Serling's Night Gallery. She appeared on The Andy Griffith Show. She was in an episode of The Outer Limits with Lord Garth himself, Steve Enot. Uh, it's Lord Garth. Oh, you said that, didn't you? I, I, I said it. Yeah, I, I beat you to it. Is Sherry Lewis seriously saying there's not educational value in G.I. Joe? Everything I know about Cobra I learned from G.I. Joe. And knowing is half the battle. Prologue. The Enterprise is on the way to Memory Alpha. Apparently the website's down. So they have to go there to transfer everything anyone in the Federation has ever known ever into its memory banks. Along to assist, Specialist Lieutenant Mira Romaine. She'll help install the new equipment on Memory Alpha. And Scotty is very, very openly and very much in love with her. And she seems kind of into him too. So this is going to go well. On the bridge, everyone is talking about Scotty's infatuation. Everyone, that is, except Kirk, who would really like Scotty to pay attention to his duties, and Spock, who's congratulating Lieutenant Romaine on her first assignment for the Federation. So, in love and first time out. How could this not go well? On their way to Memory Alpha, the ship picks up a high-intensity reading. Pretty lights, many colors. It might be a storm, but it's coming right at them moving faster than the speed of light. So not a storm, then. The Enterprise is quickly enveloped. The light is blinding. Kirk cannot speak. Lieutenant Romaine stares blankly as the lights from the phenomenon fill her eyes. Like it's in her eyes. Like if you cracked one of her eyes open like an egg, the light would pour out of it. 
and things seem to be going so well for her. Act 1. The phenomenon moves on. Kirk regains his voice, ordering Sulu to get them out of there. Lieutenant Romaine collapses. She's practically catatonic, except for some weird gurgling sound. McCoy shoots her up with something, and she comes round. Romaine says she's fine, but Kirk orders her to sickbay for evaluation. Scotty wants to go, but Kirk tells him to stay at his post. Assessing their situation, everyone seems to have had a different reaction to the incident. Uhura couldn't move her hand. Chekhov couldn't move his eyes. Sulu couldn't speak. Spot can't say why it happened, but it looks like different areas of the brain were under attack for each of them during the incident. And Lieutenant Romaine seems most susceptible. In sickbay, Scotty comes to check on Romaine, who is extremely argumentative with Dr. McCoy. I'm fine. What's wrong with me? You're the doctor. Ah. Scotty thinks it might be space sickness, which seems less like a sickness and more like a thing that happens to people sometimes on their first time in deep space. McCoy says, maybe. So how about I do the doctory thing and find out? Romaine is still being argumentative, though McCoy tells Scotty to tell Romaine that if she wants a career in Starfleet, she'll need to learn discipline and cooperation. Romaine is concerned that all that's going to go into her record and that she'll be drummed out of Starfleet, but Scotty assures her that that's silly. It's just space sickness. On the bridge, Sulu has figured out where the phenomenon is going, straight from memory alpha. Spock says, that'll be bad. Apparently built on the information-wants-to-be-free principle, memory alpha has zero defensive capability. And memory alpha is hit. Then the phenomenon moves on just as the Enterprise makes orbit. Sensors indicate that the complex and its people are dead. Kirk calls to Scotty for a consultation. He's not in engineering, though. He's still in sickbay with Lieutenant Romaine. Kind of annoys Kirk, but whatever. He and McCoy need to get to the transporter room. Alone in sickbay, something strange happens to Romaine. The lights of the phenomenon twinkle in her eyes. Then she sees a dead humanoid laid out in a chair. Down on Memory Alpha, sensors were right. Everyone and everything is dead, including whoever it was that Romaine saw in her vision. Also, a lot of Memory Alpha's information has been decimated. Act 2. Turns out there is one person alive, but just barely. She's making the same gurgly noise that Romaine made when the Enterprise was hit by the phenomenon. Then she turns several colors. Then she dies. McCoy says her brain was seriously messed up by the phenomenon. In fact, everyone on Memory Alpha had a different center of the brain destroyed. Kirk has Romaine beamed down to Memory Alpha. He asks her what she was saying in that gurgly way after the phenomenon. She has no memory of that. Kirk says it sounded exactly like what the technician was saying right before she died. This is, of course, the first Romaine has heard of any dead anybody. She rushes into the room of bodies and sees the one from her vision. Immediately, she says they have to get out of there, that the phenomenon is coming back. It will kill them. They all argue with her, but sure enough, the Enterprise hails them. That thing is coming back, and fast. The landing party is beamed back aboard, though there's some trouble beaming Romaine back. She seriously cannot catch a break. The Enterprise leaves Memory Alpha's orbit and is soon being pursued by the phenomenon. Romaine explains to Scotty about her precog moment, seeing the dead guy before she knew there were dead people. Scotty suggests she keep that to herself unless she wants to spend the rest of the trip in sick bay. It's just space sickness. Back on the bridge, the phenomenon is matching the Enterprise move for move, not trying to overtake the ship, but not letting it get away either. Spock says it's not an it, 
It's a they, beings of some sort. Ten of them, apparently, though, who and what they are is unknown. They could seriously mess up the Enterprise, though. Kirk decides to try talking to them. Hey, um, you guys are kind of killing us here. And by kind of, I mean actually. So maybe leave us alone. The phenomenon moves to block the Enterprise as we had the commercial. Act 3. The light show is now headed straight for the Enterprise. An engineering Lieutenant Romaine has another of her visions, though this time the audience is not privy to what she sees. On the bridge, Kirk's had enough with this talking business. He orders Sulu to fire near, not at, the phenomenon. The phenomenon is still coming. Kirk orders Sulu to shoot straight at the middle of the thing this time. That stops the phenomenon, but here's a wrinkle. When the phasers hit the phenomenon, Lieutenant Romaine feels the effects. Screaming, she crumples to the floor. Scotty calls the bridge. Knock it off with the phasers! You're killing Lieutenant Romaine! Kirk orders Scotty to get her to sickbay. So, they can't shoot the phenomenon without killing Romaine. Spock says they'll have to find something that'll kill whatever it is, but not her. Kirk gathers Spock, McCoy, Romaine, and Scotty to try to work through a solution. Not to freak you out, Lieutenant Romaine, but all of this seems to be tied into you somehow. McCoy says she is exceptionally pliant to new situations. After a bit of questioning and examination, it appears that Lieutenant Romaine's brainwaves are a match for the alien phenomenons. They shouldn't be. They didn't used to be. But there you go. The thing is taking over Lieutenant Romaine. Around the time of that realization, the phenomenon starts closing in on the Enterprise. Kirk orders standard evasive maneuvers. Scotty comes clean at this point. Lieutenant Romaine has been trying to tell him and everyone else all along that something was up, but Scotty thought it was just space sickness and kept her quiet. Lieutenant Romaine finally reveals what her latest vision was. She saw Scotty dying. Romaine's a bit freaked out that her thoughts had not been her own. Also, she would rather die than hurt Scotty. Scotty says, knock off that dying talk. We're going to fight and we're going to win. Sulu calls Kirk. Evasive maneuvers have been useless. Things still gaining. Kirk has an idea. Romaine should give in to whatever is trying to take her over. Once it has some control, they can get it out of her and kill it. She agrees, and just in time, too. The light show overtakes the Enterprise. Act 4. The alien light show converges on Lieutenant Romaine. She tries to both cede control and retain her identity. I'm Mira Romaine. I will be who I choose to be. Yeah, hold that thought. Suddenly, it's not her voice speaking. They say they are from Zatar. Kirk says, Ah, no, everything from there died like a thousand years ago. They agree. The bodies died, but the desires, the hopes, the mind and will of the last 100 of Zatar lived on. Kind of. They've been looking for those 1,000 years for someone through whom they can see and speak and live out their lives. Kirk says Romaine's got her own life to live, but they say she'll learn to live with it and with them. Learn like the people of Memory Alpha learned, asks Kirk. We did not kill them, say the Zetarians. Resisting us killed them. Kirk says the cost demanded by the Zetarians is too high. Romaine must live her life. Then Romaine herself pipes up. Life was given to me. I want to live it out. Neat, but... McCoy says she's losing. The plan is this. Get Romaine into a pressure chamber. The pressure in the chamber will kill the Zetarians. 
Possible side effect, it may kill Romaine, but if they don't try it, everyone but the Zaytarians will die. Scotty says he'll put her in the chamber. Romaine would not kill him. Of course, the Zaytarians might, and they try to. Still, he gets her in the chamber. They seal it up, apply lots of pressure. The Zaytarians die. Romaine and everyone else lives. Members of senior staff agree the best thing for Romaine is getting back to work. She will rebuild Memory Alpha. The end. Ken, uh, first question for you. Yeah. Scotty has actually seen a woman before, right? Uh, he's seen a few. I think okay. you, you might remember at the beginning of season two, was it, when mm-hmm. Scotty was getting slapped you know, up one side of the Enterprise and down the other because he kept seeing women? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he, he's had uh, some troubled relationships. And then I was worried about that whole getting hit on the head thing yeah. um, in Wolf in the Fold. But yes. uh, boy, th- this is a very different Scotty in love. Th- this is spore huffing in love, <laughs> if I have ever seen it. Right. And a little open, too. Not just open in his mm-hmm. love, but then in the uh, in the captain's log in the beginning, you know, uh, Kirk's like, oh, Scotty is so in love. And when a man of his age falls in love, he realizes <laughs> what a desolate wasteland the rest of his life has been. Yeah. And that's boy, not that... an exact quote, but that's, that's close. <laughs> yeah. It's something like the loneliness of his life is laid bare before him or something like that. It's sort of like, wow, what, yeah. a, what a sad, pathetic individual. That was rough. Because usually, was a really rough thing. When he's on camera, he's pretty happy-go-lucky. But apparently, he's got like a like a razor blade to his wrist most of the rest of the time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> as soon I know. as anybody's clear, but boy, is he in love! Now, did you think? Did you get the feeling that she liked him nearly as much? I, look, nobody liked anybody as much as Scotty liked her. <laughs> so, okay, but here's the question: was that <laughs> was that part of the writing, or was that just like weird directing and acting? I think that was weird directing. Okay. I, that was just me. Because she was supposed was to like him as him. much as she did, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Man, he was just, whew. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, it, but it, hey, it looks like he got over that whole wolf in the fold thing. That's um, true. So we don't have that to worry about anymore. Yeah. Um, good, good point that. But, but it does kind of, you know, point out a, a thing. It's like, hey, if you if you have trouble maintaining normal relationships, then come join Starfleet. Because uh, that's what we need is people who won't uh, fall in love and uh, are, are going to be sad and desolate otherwise and can really focus on the work. Well, around that time, I mean, yeah. you know, let's go 80, 90 years in the future. You might have a chief engineer who finds love in the most unlikely place, mm-hmm. the Starship Enterprise. But maybe not. We don't know because we're nowhere near that yet. So, Right. I don't even know why I brought that up. Uh, well... <laughs> Um, here's something that I'll bring up only for our, our short uh, quips, our short observations here. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times are we going to call uh, Lieutenant Romaine girl? Now, you're, you're differentiating that from when Scotty calls her lass, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't even remember it happening, honestly. I know oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the kind of thing that's supposed to set me off, but mm-hmm. maybe I'm turning over a new leaf. Well, I, I only bring it up because you know it's one of those things that you simply would not write now. Yeah, uh, if you were writing this episode now, so it, it feels out of place again to a modern audience. You know, Kirk yeah. says, "How was the girl?" I'm like, uh, well, who are we? Are we talking about Lieutenant Romaine? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hope so. Um, the girl, yeah, it's a good girl. point. I didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's a little odd. Uh, but but here's the big thing that's odd to me. Yeah. Um, 
Memory Alpha is the single biggest repository of Federation knowledge. Let's leave the doors wide open. Yeah, information wants to be free, John. <laughs> it does. Have yeah. I learned anything from the internet? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely yeah. true. I mean, and, and you know, it makes sense. You wouldn't want to put a shield over it because you never know who wants, you know, wayward mm-hmm. travelers may just want to look something up. The Klingons may come by. And that really is, you know, sort of a wonderful, you know, uh, possible, like, you know, moment of friendship, really, that might be. The Klingons oh, just sure. don't know, like, how long does blood wine keep? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If only there was some repository of knowledge that we could find out. And then it becomes like a hands across America thing, only, you know, well, successful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. better and, like, and all that. But no, we'll have to wait till some other time, apparently. Me- hey, we've been meteors? battling you all this time, but, yeah. but hey, you've got a library. Right. Well, now we can talk. Exactly. Yeah. Me- meteors, by the way, comets, these are also, uh, these are also mm-hmm. things that may want a little bit of information. So no need to protect against anything. No, no you don't need force fields. No. You don't need why, why would you? It might send the wrong message. Yeah. That we're prepared for disaster. I wonder if there was like a book actually in Memory Alpha. Like like if you turned to Memory Alpha and said, so would you protect information like this? <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Uh, right. Well. well, But we'll never know because it was, you know, uh, just disaster for the galaxy. Yeah, I believe is, is what it, it, it's, it's so funny that you pointed out in your uh, description that they the, the Internet was down so they couldn't, you know, just download the information. They had yeah. to go to the library. The and to me, that's yeah. Yeah. It's such an entertaining thing that, you know, 50 years later, our, our concept of how information is stored, how it is moved, how it's backed up is so entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> what the approach would have been back then. Well, we should revisit that in the next segment because they, we will. They, okay. We will. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah, do. Yeah. Let's do. Yeah. Um, I, I did dig the, uh, the creepy effect of those who had been hit by the Zetarians. I, I thought some of those were cool. It, you know, every now and then Star Trek will do a, you know, we'll, we'll dip into horror. We'll dip into comedy. We'll do more of like a hard sci-fi thing. We'll do time travel. Yeah. And a, a few episodes uh, in the past, we've done horror, sometimes well, sometimes very poorly. Yeah. Um, but this, yeah, <laughs> right? Yes, thank right. you. Yeah, Remember, ahead. the cat is the most terrifying thing in the universe. Ever. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Uh, but I, you know, if if you walked in a room and there was somebody with a green glowing face and just going, you you know, that, that's a little uh, that'll unsettle you. See, that's interesting. The green glowing face didn't do it for me, but the mm-hmm. um, the disembodied sort of gurgling thing really freaked me out mm-hmm. every time that it happened. Like once, yeah, like once you put the effect. multicolor face thing going, yeah, then I'm like, okay, well, you've lost me a tiny bit because I don't know how that skin is generating that light, or is it the lights coming from inside them, or you know what. But if you just do the thing where it's like there's absolutely no movement, there seems to be absolutely no sense to the person, but you're still getting, you know, like, uh, uh, wow, I'm going to have nightmares. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you a question. The effects that the Zetarians have on the people that they are affecting. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they just they are sort of different because and sometimes they're deadly and sometimes they're not. Right. Um, it, it, you know, a lot of that seemed kind of random to me. Um, yeah. Well, I don't think it was random. Well, I mean, it was yeah. random in that I think everybody's I think the brain, everybody's brain was going to be different. So like so basically the sense that I got was Zetarians are running sort of like a like a like a like a test program in a mm. way mm-hmm. on every brain. 
And they've been doing this for like a thousand years, by the way. Looking for well, well, yeah. looking for one person. Okay. Right. Whatever. <laughs> so, but they run the test program and then there are just going to be different points where it's going to fail, right? So like, let's say they get the first 10% and then there's um, a checkoff. What couldn't move his eyes, right? Is that it? Right. Yeah, yeah. So he can't move his, okay. So he's out because, you know, we want to be able to yeah, look at more than one thing. So we're yeah. going to go ahead and leave off testing this guy. Um, and then, I don't know, let's say you get 30% or 40% or something and you can't move the hands. Okay, so that leaves uh, Uhura out. Mm-hmm. Um, 50, 60, 70%, whatever. Why didn't Why didn't Kirk own up to the fact that he couldn't speak, by the way? Sulu says, I, I couldn't speak. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and Kirk's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> insane yeah. boo about that. So he and Sulu are actually about on par, whatever. We never heard how Spock was affected, if Spock was affected at all, which was kind of interesting but but the person – so the person who was apparently most susceptible was um, Lieutenant Romaine, not counting the people down on Memory Alpha. So she's like susceptible in that she falls over but also acceptable to them and that – well, she fell over but she didn't die. Unlike yeah, the people right, on Memory right. Alpha who apparently yeah. didn't even make it like past the first 3%. Or, but anyway, so that was the feeling that I got both about like why each one was affected differently. And then also when McCoy says all the people on memory alpha, different parts of their brain were attacked. It didn't really feel to me like different parts were attacked. It felt more like different parts failed. At least yeah, that's, I mean, okay, that's about yeah, the only way that yeah. I can make that whole thing work. Otherwise, it's just goofy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just like yeah, sticking yeah. sticks through different parts of their head going, oh, this one's broken. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Um, and, and finally, uh, McCoy, you know, McCoy will never hesitate to shoot somebody up with whatever is in that hypo spray. He'll, know, do, he'll right? just walk around and he'll – but in this one, when we get to the end, it's just like, well, you know what we have to do? We have to put her in the hyperbaric chamber uh, yeah. now with antigravity yep. and uh, and that'll work because yep. I'm an expert on Zetarians. <laughs> right. we'll, we'll squeeze the light right out of her. Uh huh. And then somehow that will kill the light. Right. It'll kill the light. But not yeah. her. She'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to crush light with this machine, but her well. human body will be A okay. Wow. Sherry Lewis writes an episode of Star Trek where the guest of the week is someone else's puppet. Ken, you and I had the same thought, I think, going into this episode. Yeah, part of it. Getting to a certain point in this episode. Yep. The Library of Alexandria. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yep. This so for those who don't know that this is this is one of those kind of uh, you know almost urban legend uh, that, that it has gained now at this point one of the wonders of the ancient world not not literally but yeah it was a wonder um, that the Egyptians starting in about the third century BCE uh, created this center of intellect in Alexandria. And the idea was to bring together all of the knowledge of the world mm-hmm. from, from Greece, from Rome, from Egypt, from everywhere that was the known world. And they would hire scribes who would 
copy everything, just every document, every book, everything. They even said that as ships would come into port, um, they would take whatever written materials were on those ships, take them to the library, hire the scribes to make copies, and then uh, give back either the originals or in some cases give the copies back to the people who had it so they could keep the originals. Mm. Um, but the, the idea here was to transcribe everything to papyrus. Right. Of course, before that, everything was carved in stone. Right. And they had literally hundreds of thousands of scrolls encompassing tens of thousands of works stacked up in this massive library. And it was open to everyone. Everyone could go there and learn. And they were divided up like a modern library. You, you would have uh, areas of intellectual interest. You would have medicine and, and astronomy and uh, all the topics worth considering, religious papers, whatever. So it's kind of gained this mythical status because then over a period of several hundred years and it burned and – a lot of that knowledge was lost. Now, some of it was saved because after multiple fires, you know, copies were moved from one library to another. So, um, but it's one of those great what if stories. If that library had survived the way it was, that we would know so much more about the ancient world mm-hmm. and potentially have not hit those hit those points in human history where progress sort of stops where <laughs> we stop learning and uh I, so that that's the, the first thing i thought of with the whole concept of memory alpha mm-hmm. i love the idea uh that we will try that again but hopefully we'll build shields well hopefully we'll build shields or i mean what i said earlier was i want to touch back on this a little bit later it's so interesting to me when star trek comes so close Mm-hmm. to hitting how the future was going to be, mm-hmm. but then misses wildly. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And just like on some things, like like the idea of memory alpha is kind of a neat idea, I guess, but I almost would rather see a junk planet. I almost, or, or, a, or a secondhand store planet or something like that. Because what we're going to lose is the physical stuff. Now, granted, we may have some sort of horrible, you know, disaster where the entire population of the earth gets destroyed and we lose all of the information because there's nobody left to run the generators that keep, you know, all mm-hmm. of the power going and things like that. But, I mean, we're going to have bigger problems at that point. I mean, there will be nobody to read the stuff anyway. Okay. I'm sorry, forgive me. I know that that went like five mm. places, and, and it made a lot more sense. In <laughs> no, no, I, I I got it. It's the physical things that we're going to lose. It seems to me uh, the resolute desk is going to be fine because it's going to stay in the White House, and so we'll always have that treasure map underneath of it too. Mm-hmm. But you know, like like the desk that I'm sitting at right now, and and desks like it, or like I've got an old phonograph from the 1920s that's just kind of a neat thing, and and there aren't as many of them as there used to be, and one day there will be no more of them. That's the kind of thing I would like to see a planet dedicated to because it's just it's just silly to me to think that we're going to take all of this information and put it someplace. Yeah, yeah. And and that's that's the part that's weird. I mean, Star Trek gets the whole thing like you said during court martial. Originally they were going to flip a tape on a tape recorder so that they could tape everything, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody watching it, I can't remember was it Roddenberry? Was it Gene Roddenberry who said it's not going to be tapes? Right. Yeah, yeah, it, it was I don't think it was Gene, but it, yeah, it was somebody from right. uh, uh, research. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and they're right. It, it wasn't going to mm-hmm. be tapes. And we still say, you know, I'm going to tape the show later, but there's no tape right. involved in anything I do anymore unless I'm wrapping a present. Right. There's no tape. 
so it hits on things like that. But then it's like, oh, well, all of this knowledge is going to be one place. And Spock is like heartbroken because all of this knowledge was lost. And it's just a silly idea at this point that, you know, mm-hmm. destroying mm-hmm. any one building is going to lose you, you know, any amount of information, any real yeah. information. It's just kind of, it's kind of interesting. I can't fault them for that because, you know, you can't, I mean, predicting the future is dicey. I yeah. mean, look at look at the uh, outfits they wore in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. <laughs> it can be a very difficult thing guessing the future. Right. It's always interesting to me, though, like when they hit something and it's spot on, and then other times it's just you know swinging a in a big miss, like the idea of a, the idea of memory alpha itself. Right. Right. Well, and, and of course, you know, the only way to protect data is. At least, well, not the only way, but but in my mind, one of the ways that you protect data is you have to keep it moving. You know, you you have to have you can't just have memory alpha. You've got to have beta, delta, gamma. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> going to say there there must yeah. be. Is there a memory beta? Yeah, I hope so. Or that's just yeah. like the one where they're like, oh, what was that thing? Remember, it was. Yeah. Oh, what was that? Yeah. Oh, I wish we had an alpha memory around that could tell us. <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. It's one of those things about the episode where. Uh, I, the episode is not about memory alpha, but for some reason I sort of latched on to that. I was more interested in that than the uh, Zetarians. Um, oh, the <laughs> Zetarians of... are completely uninteresting. What's more interesting yeah. is um, is Romaine. Yeah, well, I, I, okay. In, in what way? Here's the thing. I, I touched on the, the kind of jokingly the, the sexism of calling her girl in, yeah. the, in the observations there. But to me, I felt like she was kind of a non-character. It was a lot of tell rather than show. You know, she's brilliant because we say she's brilliant. Um, uh, Scotty's in love with her because we say that she's in love with her and then – Scotty. Well, again, that, I, I believe you know. Scotty being in love with her. I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. believe that she was in love with uh, Scotty because we were told that. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was nothing that she did. She smiled at him twice. <laughs> right. I mean, right. And that really is it. She smiled yes. at him twice. I honestly wondered if at some point, I mean, when it's the one of the first rewatchings of this episode, mm-hmm. I, I wondered at some point is, you know, is she going to complain? Right. Because he right. is just yeah. like, you know, and he's got a hand on her the whole time and he's uh-huh. it, he's coming on to her uh, pretty mercilessly, it felt like, because I wasn't getting the same thing back from her until, I guess, the third act when she says that she'd rather die yeah. than hurt him or kill him. Um, I will say that I, I owe my interest and appreciation of this show entirely to my wife. Um, I did one of the rewatchings of this episode with her. She's worked with kids in the past, mm-hmm. teens, um, some, in a church setting sometimes, in a social work setting sometimes. Um, a lot of times it's been troubled kids, especially. But um, I think because of all of that, um, she sort of sees things through a certain lens. So we're watching this episode, and with what really felt like very little thought to me, she says that this is a peer pressure and coming of age story. Hmm. And, and I was just like, I don't see it for about 30 seconds. And then I couldn't see anything else after that. Almost. I almost couldn't see anything else. Um, she's, I mean, she's, she's kind of like, I mean, she's a rebellious teen in a way. She's like, you don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing, you know, sort of thing. Sure. Sure. Um, but she really doesn't exactly. And she's kind of afraid, but she doesn't want to show anybody that she's afraid. And then there's the whole uh, sort of this idea of this exercising free will thing, right? Like she's she's going to live her own life rather than having somebody else's ideas imprinted on her. 
because mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what the Zitarians are trying to do, right? They're trying to make themselves they're trying to make her into what they need her to be or want her to be. Okay. And then, you know, she says, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I'm going to live my own life. She's not going to be governed by their ideas. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, as long as she learns the discipline and self-control that it takes to be in Starfleet. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, there was something yeah. – It's it's there's a weird – it doesn't exactly work, but it kind of works to me. It did feel to me like it was – kind of a coming of age idea or kind of a peer pressure idea but at the same time it's it also sort of felt like a like an advertisement for the right kind of peer pressure in a way or mm. you know mm. you know be this kind of free hmm. <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to that kind of free it, it like i say it didn't it, it felt both like an anti indoctrination episode and a pro indoctrination episode just being sure you're indoctrinated by the right people and so then I didn't know if it's like, okay, so is it sort of an anti-communist thing or an anti-commune thing or an anti-cult thing? Hmm. Because I kind of got that sense too. I mean, cause, okay, let me let me throw a question out to you. Okay, do it. Had the Zetarians found that Spock was the right person? Yeah. Would Spock have said, get them out of me and kill them? Because uh, that's, because that's well, what Romaine says, basically. Right. And, 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 you know, ba- based on Spock's brain, I would say no. Right. <laughs> because, exactly. yeah. Or based on, you know, later Spock, and I know we're not supposed to jump the timeline, yeah. but the needs yeah. of the many outweigh the needs of the few is like one of the mm-hmm. greatest lines of Spock's ever. Yeah. Now, I don't think the show would have ended that way anyway, because, you know, just like with Spock's brain, Kirk wouldn't have had it. <laughs> Kirk right. would have said, no, yeah. Bones come up with something, because seriously, we're going to get those things out of Spock, whether he wants them to stay there or not. Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 that was just another thing that came up. I don't think that actually fits in exactly. I, uh, I don't know. Well, no, it was, I, I, I like it. And, and, but since you brought that up, though, that, that kind of – I don't know if this has ever been approached in any of the novels or any of the sort of non-canon Star Trek. But that – your description now makes me more interested in what happens to Lieutenant Romaine after. Because I, I, I kind of like – she's got a lot of pressure. She She's there. Wait a minute. Wait, what, what do you mean after? Don't she and Scotty live happily ever after? Oh, Remember, oh, they've oh. got all the time in the world now. <laughs> right, right. <sighs> I'm just I'm just thankful it didn't happen with Kirk. If it had been Kirk again, I mean seriously, yeah. I might have thrown something at my TV. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it it really Kirk. bothered me, especially at the end where he says we have all the time in the world. And you see that, that smile from Kirk to Scotty and, and I think that smile is, oh, you poor dumb son. i've been through this so many times just this season we all know this this is not okay no no have your fun you're right you know all the time in the world Mm -hmm. what do you got like three minutes left in this episode all Mm -hmm. the time in the world yeah you too count down to the credits you too will be so who yeah yeah okay you you were saying though i I apologize well no i mean i it's interesting because what what you're describing about uh, Lieutenant Romaine's journey here mm-hmm. uh, as either you know part of the shall we say collective let's use that word the collective of Starfleet then the collective of the Zetarians trying mm-hmm. to take her over you know what, what she needs is some time away I, I think what she needs is a little time on her own putting Memory Alpha back together <laughs> and just just figure it out for yourself. You know? did, did they leave her there by herself, by the way? I hope not. 
I, because it, all, all we know that's on memory alpha now is a bunch of corpses. And yeah. if he said, okay, enjoy. Oh, sorry about the corpses. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you don't mind cleaning that up, do you, sugar? Yeah, right. Girl. Girl. You don't mind girl. Yeah. <sighs> hey, yeah. girl. <laughs> <laughs> Clean up those dead bodies for me. Okay, thanks. Let's, let's, let's talk about the Zetarians a little bit mm-hmm. uh, because it reminded me a lot of other star trek um who are the bad guys i'm sorry not to interrupt you really quickly yeah. who are the bad because i think um, this will take much less time than what, what you're going to talk about i believe okay who, who are the bad guys in uh the empath and i know you're going to want to oh. say the writers but you know no the the, the vians yeah, yeah okay the vians so yeah. there's like a disease going around in in season three at least mm-hmm. for these two the vians are all like hey we didn't kill your compatriots they just couldn't take it yeah, right, right. And now meet the Zetarians who are like, yeah. hey, we didn't kill them. Their resistance to us killed them. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Really? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, that was that was still you. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Now, I, so, I did. I did notice that parallel. Though, yeah. That, that very, very good point. Um, but, but I look at the Zetarians like this. Okay? They've been roaming the galaxy for a very long time. For a thousand a, years. For a suitable host. Yeah. Uh, which a thousand years is nothing to Commissioner Beale or Loki, but for the Zetarians, that might be a long time. Um, and they didn't mean to kill. No, it's just that we couldn't stand up to what they were doing. Right. Um, and they even communicate with us once they have taken over a human um, and I just kept thinking, well, could we take them back to Sargon's planet and put them in one of those mind containers nope. and uh, say, here, wait another, nope. wait another 50,000 years? Could, could we share the plans for the android bodies with them? Maybe can touch with, you know, whoever's left with uh, in Dr. Corby's old lab. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like it, it handled a different way. Is there anything that we could have learned from them or reasoned with them at any point? Because to me, the, the failing here is that it seems like such a cut and dried story. Aliens take over. They're not really bad, but they're destructive. So we got to kill them in the pressure chamber. And end of story. You know, I, I just feel like we've seen it before and we've seen it go in much more interesting ways. Well, if we make it the indoctrination, anti-indoctrination or indoctrination, anti-indoctrination idea, then, mm-hmm. then no, there's really nothing else we can do for them. They yeah. are they are destructive. They're destructive and they're bad, and they're not even accidentally destructive. They they are they're yeah, they're willing to take her over. They're willing yeah. to push her out. They're willing to um, uh, subjugate her her person herself for when, the, for their needs. One might even say that her resistance is futile. At oh, that point. Huh, uh-huh. Look at that. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. One wouldn't know why that would be funny at this point. No, not at all. But maybe someday. Maybe. Um, so, I mean, I guess it, it, I mean, if we, if we accept that possibility that was laid out earlier, that this is, that this is a, the problem is it's still not freedom. That's the one place that I keep getting hung up. Mm-hmm. She's going to, you know, exercise her right to be part of the food chain that is Starfleet. And right, I mean, and, right. and, and in fairness, that is what she chose to do. Yeah. But yeah. it's not it's not absolute freedom. It's just kind of like, you know, freedom within this other construct. Well, she she still has choice, though. And uh, even if she's with Starfleet for uh, another week, another month, another decade, it is still her choice and she yeah. still has the freedom to get out of that. That's true. You know? All right. So, 
But uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that once the Zetarian takes you over, there's not a whole lot of choice in the matter after that point unless you've got a, an anti-grav pressure chamber. Yeah. Well, especially if it's 100 Zetarians. What was, up oh, yeah. with that? what was up with that, by the way? Spock said there were 10. They said there were 100. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was kind of odd. Yeah, that was a little weird. And then, But all 100 of them are going to be fine living through her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that like a timeshare? How, yeah. how do you think <laughs> that right. works? Exactly. Maybe. Yeah, I you know I I would like to sleep now. I'm just saying. I mean, you you got to take over while it was sleepy time. I would <laughs> tomorrow. I would like to sleep. How would that be? <laughs> no, we're not going to go fly a kite. Are you kidding me? We have no idea how long this is going to last. We're not going to waste any of this time flying a kite. You're no. Ugh. Man, and if you're 98 or 99 on the list, you just got to listen to all of that (laughs) until you get your turn. Fascinating. Ken finds a message worthy of an after-school special in the episode written by the Advocate for Educational Television. Ken, we've arrived at the part of the show where there's a light or maybe multiple lights at the end of the tunnel. It's and, like a light uh, show, dude. It's a total light show. It's like Pink Floyd at the planetarium. Um, we get to ask ourselves about the lights of Zetar and recap. We get to ask ourselves, first of all, if the episode holds up. What do you think, Ken? Um, oh, that's such a tough thing. Here's what Here's what I will say. I, I gotta, Again, I got to, and not just to... Make her happy. I got to give props to. Uh, I got to give props to my wife because without mm-hmm. that, I, I don't think I would have had any use for this episode. I, once I started looking at it through that lens, it was interesting. It it gave it gave me something to to think about, mm-hmm. as opposed to what I had been thinking about the the time before she and I watched it together, uh, which was why. I mean that was that was pretty much it. So I don't. I mean I don't necessarily know the problem that I have. Obviously, with the interpretation that she presented was it, it still leaves me with too many questions. It still leaves me with too much. Like okay, well, is this any better than that? But at least I had those questions at that point, as opposed to you know why do we have to do this and when does this end and right, 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 <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I guess you know we've said before, even bad episodes that give you a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. are better than, you know, just a straight shoot 'em up episode that doesn't do or can be better than a straight shoot 'em up episode that doesn't leave any questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's I mean there have been episodes though eh no I don't I don't know that it holds up that well unfortunately. I I wasn't I I didn't buy uh, Lieutenant Romaine. Yeah. Um, I certainly didn't buy Scotty's love for her. Not that James Doohan didn't, you know, sell the fact that he was in love, but who was she last week? And by the way, will she be around next week? Yeah, the answer is Spoiler no. alert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. no, she will not be around next week. So despite right. his thinking that they have all the time in the world, he's going to be fine just dropping her off, though, on that, you know, dead, desolate planetoid. By the yeah. way, how does putting new machinery on there fix memory alpha? Oh, yeah. All it does is fix That's the machine. Good. We've still That's... lost. Like, nobody remembers how to make whatever that was. That, remember that thing? It had sort of like a – it was a bit like a flan, but not exactly – look it up. <laughs> oh, we can't look it up. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I don't right. – don't. so to me, it's – again, it's it's like right in the middle. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a solid C, I would say. Mm. It's okay, but it's not – I mean – Nah, I don't know. What about you? I, I think as an episode, it, it 
it, to me, it fails. I, I'm a little more negative on this than you are. Um, it, sure, it's got more going for it than some other episodes. Yeah. Uh, and the children shall lead or the empath or whatever. But but ultimately, I, I just feel like there, there's nothing there, really. Um, the premise is interesting, but we never explore that premise beyond just that the Zetarians need host bodies. Okay, then then there's really no more substance there after that. I love the idea of memory alpha, but um, there are more interesting stories about libraries on Doctor Who. So, <laughs> you know, in fact, a very good story about a library on Doctor Who. Um, and I think just as a production, as, as a slice of TV production done in the late 60s, um, I, were you ever a fan of Space 1999? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, I didn't hate it. I, I've never really watched it. So Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, the, the Blu-rays are great, and, and I've watched all of the Season one is, is very interesting. But you can tell that they get to a point where they had this very interesting premise and a very cool design for their show. But then they got to a point where they just sort of – didn't know what to do with the stories anymore. And if you read the episode descriptions, they all start the same way. A mysterious light shows up at Moonbase Alpha. And then the next episode, a series of mysterious lights show up at, <laughs> at Moonbase Alpha. You know, And this, I just felt like, well, okay, we, we had the light effect. And then we kind of will get into this thing of what the Zetarians are and what they need. But then it's kind of inconsequential by the time we get to the end of it. Well, again, though, only if you're going to go hard science fiction about the whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're mm-hmm. assuming that the Zetarians are a stand-in for something else, whether that is, you know, being what your parents wanted you to be rather than you being what you want to be, or the communist mm-hmm. threat, or that crazy cult leader, you know, I mean, down on the corner. I mean, it almost doesn't matter what the Zetarians are physically, because the real question is, are you going to be governed by somebody else's idea or are you going to be governed by your own? Are you going to be lost to what other people expect you to be? Even a hundred of them. Are you going to be lost to what other people expect you to be? Or are you going to be what you want to be? Which I think is a very interesting premise. Right. But I, but I think it's a more interesting premise when it's handled with a bit, uh, with a bit more nuance. Like here, like I said, it's very cut and dried. Here's an, an invading alien force nobody has a choice in the matter boom they're done yeah but we, but you take that idea and if you want to go the the anti-communist route or something like that then you get into other science fiction like uh, invasion of the body snatchers or stuff like that where i feel like there's a much more complex exploration of that idea which i think is a cool idea well, this is always the weird thing, though, about Star Trek, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you've got a very countercultural idea with a lot of Star Trek, but then you've also got it being produced, you know, for mass consumption by one of the three television networks. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're mm-hmm. never going to get, you know, Love American style was a joke. It was a comedy. Right. <laughs> At the right. time yeah. that the sexual revolution was happening, it was something that was being laughed at on one of the major networks and being presented to people as farce. Right. Right. So, I mean, the same kind of thing. I mean, as much as we tend to think or people tend to think that Star Trek is very revolutionary and very counterculturally, and it is in a lot of ways, it was still being produced by one of the big three networks and put out there. So, I mean, the question is, oh, somebody's going to try to take over this kid's mind. We're going to say that this kid is going to be able to overcome that, but still live within the society, you know, that we, it, 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 uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. There are much more nuanced explorations, but this is a 48 minute morality tale. 
Yeah. And and there's there's going to be a moral to this story. <laughs> right. Well, well it, so then that brings us to the message. What you know, are are you going to stick with the idea that the message here is is not so much a a singular message but looking at the conflict between her her sticking with her own plan or being taken yeah. in by what is forced upon her. See, this is the problem. I still don't know. I still, I'm still having a hard time with what exactly the message is. Yeah. I mean, there is this sort of living into your own thing, but, you know, still sponsored by in yeah. a way. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. And so I, does the message hold up? I, I don't know. I Like I say, I would have missed it entirely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah right. So, right. so maybe not. Yeah. Um, there have been great episodes of Star Trek that tell a message in a not completely ham-fisted way. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this message was just a little too nuanced to actually stand up, or maybe there, maybe there. I, I don't know. I like the fact that it gives me something to play with, but I didn't. I I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I I think it's just sort of a a start. To go down that road, sure. We'll look at individuality. We'll look at outside pressure. I, I think we were just sort of presented with that a little, but ultimately, to me, it's just invading aliens. We have to get rid of the invading aliens. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, all right. But um, that's what John maybe, thinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but. What do you think, listener? Do you mind if I call you listener? Sorry. There are a few ways to let us know what you do think. On Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, the handle is Mission Log Pod. Uh, you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Ken, I have this crazy idea that we just get back together and we do it all again next week. But next week, we'll talk about Requiem. For Methuselah. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Next week, new music from Mira Romaine, named the 23rd century's best sitar player. Oh yes, she plays a sitar. She also plays for keeps. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.